Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It is officially the end of the year 2021. It was a weird year, but we got through it together. We've been spending the last couple of weeks talking about some of the best stuff of the year. First, we did books and then TV shows. And now this week, we are diving into the wild world of podcasting. Our guests today are Sarah Larson. She writes about podcasts for The New Yorker. Sarah, hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. And we also have Nick Qua, Vulture's podcast critic. Nick, welcome back. Hello, hello. So you both came with your top five picks from this year. Before we get to them, I was curious if there are any particular trends you've noticed. I mean, not in terms of like the industry, because that's a whole conversation in and of itself, but more like in terms of maybe themes or structure or what people just kind of generally seem interested in. What do you think, Sarah? There are so many different kinds of podcasts, so many genres that are thriving, et cetera. But I noticed that a lot of the ones that moved me the most this year had themes of family, which sort of surprised me. Hmm. That's not something I remember thinking about a lot in podcasts of previous years. Nick, do you have thoughts about themes that popped out at you? Yeah, uh, I think like there's a there's a lot of ninety stuff uh, <laughs> this year, mm-hmm. uh, like more so than before. And I think it's just, I mean, I don't I don't think it's just in podcasting. I think there's just this, I think we're finally like kind of generation generationally there. But in podcasting, there's like anything from like operator which is that wondery show about phone sex lines that largely takes place in the 90s to um uh you know slow burn has hit the 90s a couple of times but like with the la riots in particular their, their latest season it really it, there's a sort of like a mind space that's happening there and i think it's like uh you know the people in their 30s and 40s who now have like some modicum of power over media are are now like generationally going back to reckon with the traumas of their of their childhood yeah. <laughs> their cultural traumas and i kind of think that that's a little bit what's happening uh, but more broadly speaking, I think uh, it, it has been a year of industry consolidation, um, and I think we're beginning to see the first volleys of like, you know, really interesting projects coming up from the big platforms and the big companies. Uh, but also, you know, that you know, I think the fear had been that that trend would have pushed out independence. But this has been a very very strong year for like lone singular independent voices mm-hmm. to come through, um, and I, I'm really sort of glad to see the two things kind of coexisting in a really interesting way. Yeah, that is really exciting. Okay, so Sarah, let's start with you. Um, what do you want to talk about? Um, I think I'll start out talking about 9-12, Dan Tversky's podcast about 9-11 and, I mean, as he calls it, you know, the, the idea of 9-11 and what happened hmm. after 9-11. And, you know, talking about, I sometimes... Tversky and his work is a little narratively on the nose and his tone actually kind of drives me crazy, but he makes, <laughs> he makes great podcasts. And this one just has, has so many beautiful 
images in it. You know, the first episode is about this group of people who are on this reality show on a boat that's replicating the 18th century. Uh, and when 9-11 happened, you know, they're on that boat and they kind of stay on it for a month. And I mean, what an incredible way to, you know, introduce that story. When everyone was assembled on the quarterdeck, Mario thought that the captain was about to chew them out. And we were, you know, sort of our heads were right down waiting for the whip to come down on us in front of the, everybody. And then he just, then he just proceeded to tell us this strange story. Sorry to wake you up so alarmingly. What I'm going to tell you now is going to shock all of you. This morning, American time, 8.30, a 737 was flown into one of the Twin Towers at the World Trade Center in New York. That sounds very good. Is it? So it's not all just a huge bummer then, huh? It is not a huge bummer. No. I mean, the... Because, you know, a podcast about 9-11 is like womp womp, right? right? Yeah, that's the thing about him is that, like, you kind of think that you're going to be in for a bad time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you don't, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Nick, what about you? So, uh, my uh, sort of first pick here is Maintenance Phase, which is an independent, you know, research-driven, conversational podcast um, by the writer Aubrey Gordon and the journalist Michael Hobbs. Michael Hobbs also being uh, the co-host, or more specifically, the former co-host of You're Wrong About. Mm-hmm. Um, and Maintenance Phase basically kind of takes a chainsaw to uh, the, the, wealth, the health and wellness uh, kind of culture, industry, complex, however you want to phrase it. Um, and in sort of like Yorong about-ish fashion, each episode's kind of built around a, a particular subject. So it could be anything from uh, celery juice and its uh, <laughs> supposed uh, health-providing uh, and miracle, mir- miraculous properties to uh, Dr. Oz, who is apparently not ready for Senate in Pennsylvania. He's had like mediums on. Like one of the headlines that is still up on his website is how talking to the dead can keep you healthy. <laughs> his website has a true crime section. Like he, he'll randomly do these like this girl went missing in Albuquerque or whatever. And you're like, why the fuck are you talking about this? <laughs> no health tie in. Got it. I want- so the thing about... Uh, you're wrong about and the thing about maintenance phase which in my mind I kind of see them as kind of vaguely sister projects is that it's it's like really it's a re- these are really hopeful projects um, and these are projects that kind of remind me of like whenever I get like pretty cynical about stuff or, or you know when I kind of like think about the state of the world state of America these shows are like reminders mm-hmm. to fight and these shows are reminders to like stay on your toes it is worth remembering that there is something called the truth and we're going to talk about it and we're going to like commit ourselves to the research, the moral worldview, um, and also the belief that we can do so much better than, than what we are. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, Sarah, can you tell us about Suspect? Yes. So Suspect, technically, I guess it's a true crime podcast, but it's one of the more enlightened, actually about justice and injustice style podcasts. Hmm. It's um, created by Matt Share, and it's out on Wondery, but it's very non wondery ish <laughs> so this is about a a murder that took place um at a after a halloween party in 2008 in redmond washington it just basically takes a very careful look at each of the people who are, are considered to be suspects and gets to know everyone very personally and then traces why 
the way that the investigation unfolded was pretty much the most unjust way possible and also one of the most typical. Cops, prosecutors, forensic analysts, witnesses, jurors, all were still living with the events of a single night in 2008. All were searching for answers in a case that had provided so few. I was like, who are all these people? I was like, what are you talking about? You murdered this girl. I was like, what girl? I was like, how do you not know this stuff? They're manipulating evidence. And this is just a microcosm of what happens on a daily basis in America. What do we look at? Do we look at you? Would you do something like this? Where's the smoking gun? You know, it would be a page turner if it were a book. Hmm. I kept looking at the at my you know device going what is this who who made this i loved it i I wasn't expecting you know i know nick that was not what you said about it but i i felt very differently yeah no so actually suspect was 10 on my list and i um to me it's like the peak pure true crime podcast done well Hmm. Uh, it like hits every single like beat and uh one one could say tropes but it does it like much like you say in a way that kind of goes like it's like a lot, somewhat a light, lot more enlightened than typical uh, wondery or uh, or true crime genre fair. Sure, yeah. Without in subverting it or or inverting it, if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's actually really interesting because it's hard. It's very easy to comment or deconstruct or subvert something to make right. a statement about that something, mm-hmm. but it's much harder to do something really well and make a statement about that something. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like so often, especially if you are trying to subvert it, it's the like, look at us shouting from the rooftops about yeah. how we're doing this thing differently. Absolutely. And you That's can tell because, right. you know, it's yeah. like we're doing right here. This is it right here. We're doing it now. You know? Yeah. And I should also say that I, I listened to Suspect at exactly the same time I was watching Only Murders in the Building. <laughs> uh, which really informed the way that I thought about Suspect. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. So Nick, I feel like you have one on your list that I think is kind of similar, at least in terms of the fact that it's true crime-ish, but kind of zooms out more about societal things than just being about you know, only one case that's through the cracks. Is that a fair yeah. assessment, you think? That That is a fair assessment. I think I think if if the framework that we've been using now is like uh, either a show that transcends or subverts it, through the cracks does this interesting thing where it kind of nods to its genre and then kind of sets it aside to do its own thing. Everyone has someone who would notice their absence. The question is, how long would it take? This is what I think about every time I think about Relisha Rudd. R-E-L-I-S-H-A. R-E-L-I-S-H-A. Rudd disappeared nearly seven years ago, in 2014. She was eight years old. She was a second grader at Payne Elementary School in Southeast D.C. By the time the city formally declared Relisha as missing, 18 days had passed since the last time she'd been seen at school or in the shelter. The shelter gave us some place to stay. Good. And now you say to her, and that's good. Say it louder. Say to her. Cracks uh, is uh, a show from WMU, which is the D.C. station at PRX, um, hosted, reported, produced largely by uh, Jean-Claude Hill, who's a, who's a usually a producer at the station. I think she works at 1A, I believe. Yeah, totally. And Hill takes this story as a way to kind of talk about, like, the, the holes and the gaps in the, uh, in the homeless shelter system, uh, how, like, people pass through and oftentimes can end up just completely being unaccounted for. And the fact that this can happen to such a, you know, a, you know, a vulnerable kid, she's mm-hmm. eight years old, um, is, is kind of a, just a damning um, indictment of 
you know, how basically uh, we failed as <laughs> as a structural society. Yeah. I say this as I as I nervously chuckle uh, because I have no no quite other way to respond to this. Um, what I really admire about the show is that um, it's a systems show. It's a show about like talking about a larger architecture, but doing so in a way that never removes the sort of center, the, the human loss at the center of of this failure. And being able to connect the high and the low, the, the macro and the micro, is extremely hard to do. And Hill does it just really elegantly and seamlessly. And, and I, I, I really, really admire the show. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, Sarah, this is quite a tonal shift, but this one might have my favorite of all of the titles of the shows that we'll be talking about today. Tell me about Cocaine and Rhinestones. <laughs> it's got to be Cocaine and Rhinestones, I know. And and this season, it really dives into the cocaine and the rhinestones. Which Thank goodness. In season one was more of a elegant metaphor. <laughs> it's Tyler Mayhan Co. who does everything himself. He's a Nashville-based musician and sort of self-made scholar of the history of country music. And his first season came out in 2017. And it it just blew my mind. You know, it's funny, it's smart, it's obsessive. He's great at talking about music and he's an incredible storyteller. His little tagline is something like, I've heard these stories all my life. Here's the truth about this one as oh. far as I can tell. Is this one where like you have to be a country music fan already to be into it? Or does he kind of sell it for, you know, is it sort of like the Friday Night Lights of country music podcasts? <laughs> no, I would not say that. And I'm a huge fan of Friday Night Lights. But if you care about the music to some extent, yes, uh, it's for you. If you hate it, it's not for you. But, um, you know, I was talking earlier about... Um, how I can't stand it when narrators call attention to their own greatness or the flashiness of their writing mm, or something. Mm -hmm. He is an exception. I, you know, when people <laughs> are often writing, I often think of it as pirouetting, you know, like mm, Franzen or something yeah. when he'll have five pages about a pharmaceutical conference. And I'm like, Ugh, you know, but <laughs> when, when Tyler Mayhan Co. does it, I just love it. It cracks me up. I, I think it's just so entertaining and enjoyable. And the very first episode is about the history of pinball. Nearly everybody's confused by their first interaction with a pinball machine. Some people think the game's broken because they don't know you have to press the start button. Or they get it going, slap the ball around a bit, maybe hit a few random targets before draining, and the whole thing's over seconds after it began. And why would anybody want to spend money on that? You have no idea why he's talking about pinball. And then when he gets to the country music and the little theme song starts kicking in, you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is delicious. <laughs> He's also very progressive, so just throwing that just in there. Saying. Just to... well, you gotta, what a qualifier! <laughs> I, I also got to say, like uh, between Friday Night Lights and uh, Duncan on Friends, and like I'm having a good fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> More of the best podcasts of 2021 in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. 
Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So, Nick, you have a music podcast on your list as well, right? Uh, it's it's kind of cool how we kind of like uh, match up. It, it's a it really interesting yeah, way. It's really interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my <laughs> my third pick is um, anything for Selena. Uh, it came out all the way to start of year. It's by WBUR and Futuro Studios. Um, it's it's hosted by uh, arts editor at WBUR, Mario Garcia. Um, and in the show, she revisits the legacy of the Tano music legend, Selena Quintanilla. Um, and Anything for Selena is kind of a hybrid uh, memoir and documentary in the sense that, you know, on the one hand, she's going back through this, this, this iconic uh, musician's life. Um, and her, you know, tragic death uh, when she was uh, murdered by a fan. Um, but kind of just uh, understanding, illustrating, and kind of like giving flesh to what the the iconography of uh, a musician who at the time very few people in the in the sort of celebrity or public sphere looked like her and and sort of was like her. And so the it, it's also uh, as i mentioned sort of a, a memoir piece so garcia is kind of front and center in in the sort mm-hmm. of narrative and i i love the way she writes she she kind of writes and and hosts and performs very much with her heart on her sleeve um and like i don't know com- coming out of i think listening to a lot of podcasts particularly narrative ones where the writing often is kind of a frontier and a vessel for for the, for the mind right <laughs> for you know you can feel some distance people trying to be you know smart or interesting or observational but somebody who is kind of really working from a gut feeling, from emotion, you know, you don't, you don't, I don't hear that very much um, these days or, or mm-hmm. at all, really. Um, and it's something that really sort of came across in this piece. Uh, another thing that anything for Selena really sort of made me th- think about is, um, and so in general, I feel like in the media business and elsewhere in the culture, we talk a lot about uh, diverse representation in the media uh, to a point where, you know, in, in my own politics, I kind of feel like, well, it, it has become sort of a buzz phrase in terms of like we need more diversity, but like why and what does that mean? What does that really right. mean as opposed to just access to uh, more power for, for certain kinds of people, more kinds of celebrities, but but like there's very little solidarity and kind of thing. Um, with anything with Selena, like I think Mary Garcia makes an argument as to like to sort of remind at least me why it's important and why why we need to be in that fight and how, when, what we shouldn't forget when that fight becomes a little bit too political. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. And I think we should listen to a clip. Here's a clip from an episode about the politics of butts. How did we get here to the era of the butt? How did we do a whole 180 on butts as a country? I have a theory that there's a direct historical lineage from Selena to mainstream butt culture. And I'm going to walk you through that theory. It may sound trivial, but this episode, one about butts, it's the one that has made me ask some of the most profound questions about blackness and Latino identity. It's made me look at which Latinos are glorified and which are erased. Because butt politics, make no mistake, is about race. Ah, representation of butts. <laughs> Mainstream, Mainstream butt culture. Butt culture. <laughs> That's amazing. I never realized it was so much fun to say butt. <laughs> so, Sarah, what's next on your list? Uh, what's next on my list? 
um, next on my list, actually, well, this is funny. Uh, it's actually La Brega, uh, which is from WNYC and Futura, um, which Nick just talked about. Mm -hmm. It's hosted by Alana Casanova Burgess. Basically, it was born out of an impulse to tell stories about Puerto Rico, the history and present that is more organic than a lot of what we hear about in mainstream media hmm. in the U.S. about Puerto Rico. It's beautifully written. It's beautifully sound designed. It has gorgeous and painful metaphors. Uh, La Brega means the struggle or the hustle. Mm. It's sort of a, a commonly used term about day-to-day uh, -day life and all the work you need to do to kind of just get what you need. There's an amazing amount of imagery about potholes. <laughs> There's potholes and problems with water. You go anywhere, you're going to find a pothole. Trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. I can confirm a lot of Puerto Rican roads are filled with craters. People on the island often joke about it, comparing the roads to the surface of the moon. Ten years ago, Cheo drove over one that rattled more than his axle. It's the reason I wanted to start this podcast with him. Because if I'm going to explain to you what La Brega means, what it means for Puerto Rico, I need an example. And Cheo's Brega tells the story. It's got incredible characters. It's got humor. It's warm. There was an episode about this kind of U.S.-Puerto Rico basketball rivalry that uh, made me tear up. I mean, I'm a crier, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Heard we all. <laughs> These days, yes. <laughs> you know, if it makes you physically react, you've yeah. got something you've got to pay attention to. That's so, huge, yeah, it's, for sure. It's beautifully done. And also, the whole series is in English and in Spanish. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. So, Nick, your next pick is a classic. Yeah, uh, I, I guess you could call it a classic uh, in a sense that is extremely traditional. Um, okay. Yes. So I, I struggle over this pick, but uh, largely because uh, I don't want people to make fun of me. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll back it up. Um, the Ezra Klein Show uh, used to be at Vox Media. Now it's over at New York Times uh, Audio Opinion. Um, Ezra Klein, uh, nerd king, policy wonk, uh, uh, you know, a uh, polit politics writer extraordinaire. On his interview show, um, you know, it's in many ways it's a structured as a traditional uh, interview show. You start out with the ghost, uh, the, the host going, uh, "This is the guest. This is why I brought in a guest. This is why it's interesting to me." And then you have the interview. That being said, the nature of how he uses the interview as a way to kind of play around with like um, both a mingling, a mingling of his interests, but to get at a larger question of basically like how do we kind of move forward as 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 a country as people. Um, ha that that I think has really come across particularly in this new incarnation, and you know there's all the basic stuff that he does really well at. He is a fantastic interviewer. He um, you know doesn't ever condescend. He doesn't ever not take his guests you know kind of at, at their own terms seriously. Mm -hmm. And but also he never sort of concedes ground. Um, and he prepares so intensely. He's an extreme researcher, which comes up from his uh, policy wonk background. It's not always a flashy guest. I think a way that a lot of interview shows try to cover up themselves or get attention or grow themselves is to like book the flashy guest, book the guest at a moment. Mm. He often kind of just goes the other direction of like, how can we get stranger? How can we get wonkier? How can we get more specific to the thing that we're talking about? And from there, move on to the universal. And um, I think it 
has worked for me better as a news show than The Daily did throughout the entire year, uh, if we're just talking about Times Podcast. Hmm. He had an amazing um, interview with uh, Ted Chiang. Uh, he wrote a short story collection that included a story called Story of Your Life, which would then become Arrival. Um, mm-hmm. And that episode in particular kind of like embodies why the show is so great. It is very specific to <laughs> Ezra and many other Nerd King's interests. <laughs> but from there, like the entire universe unfolds. If we can create these billions of machines that live basically happy lives and don't hurt anybody and you can copy them for almost no you know, marginal dollar, isn't it almost a moral imperative to bring them into existence so they can, they can lead these happy, these happy machine lives? I think that uh, it will be much easier to inflict suffering on them than to give them happy, fulfilled lives. And given that they will start out as something that resembles ordinary software, something that, that is nothing like a, a living being, we are going to treat them like crap. It's never uninteresting. Wow. And that's the, I think the most, the best thing you could say about any of your shows that it's never uninteresting. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a really good one. Interesting. Okay, I'll check that out. Um, Sarah, what was your favorite podcast this year? It was Resistance. I was thinking when Nick was talking earlier about podcasts that make you want to not give up mm. and to re-engage and to fight. I'm blown away by Resistance's ability to do that and also to be a warm, funny, smart, moving, story-based podcast. So it's hosted by Saeed Tijan Thomas Jr., who co-created it at Gimlet Spotify. It was started uh, last year in October after the summer of the Black Lives Matter protests after the murder of George Floyd. And it was basically about, you know, when he starts out, he's talking about how he had done a lot of protesting in college, but now, you know, he's kind of wants to stay on his couch playing video games. And then he starts talking about some people who inspired him to get back out in the streets and to rejoin Hmm. the struggle. And each episode just has the most vivid characters. There's one about a couple who is questioning Christianity, but they're Christian. And it starts with their love story. And it's just incredibly vivid and funny. And then by the time it gets to how they start wanting to resist from within in Christianity, it's just thrilling. Jesus Christ himself comes from among uh, the oppressed people, um, the the Hebrews, the the or later on called the Jews, um, uh, uh, being Palestinian, being uh, oppressed by the Roman Empire in particular, um, and he was an enemy of the state. The first time I heard Jackie say this, I remember jumping out of my seat because, like, yes, Jesus was an enemy of the state. And he was an organizer, a man who traveled all throughout the land, learning what people's issues were and finding solutions to those problems, empowering the most downtrodden and outcast among his society. Wow, that sounds really timely, especially for to have in the world right now, too. It is. 
and there's a lot of it, you know, and I, I personally feel very overwhelmed by the scale of the problems that we're facing, you know. From... <laughs> what do you mean, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't need to enumerate, you know, but um, this is a thing that makes you feel like that's not necessarily the end. Wow. It's a relief <laughs> even just to hear you say that. It, it is. I know it is. That's awesome. Um, Nick, your favorite one is very different. We actually have a clip. I think maybe we should start with that because it's an interesting start. And then <laughs> Let's we do it. Hard pivot. From there. <laughs> Having worn yoga worn pants yoga for 12 months in a row, in a row I greet the I universe greet the with universe. Namaste. I look for achievement. I only see worry. Why are my blunders so clear? My triumphs so blurry. Sorry. Ack. Sorry. Okay. I want to talk to you about Kathy Comics. Oh my god, Nick. <laughs> yeah, that's my uh, number one pick from the year. Uh, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> Tell us about it. What on earth is happening? Okay, so this show it's it's called Actcast. Um, Obviously, as you might uh, guess, it's uh, it's about it's about Kathy, the comic strip uh, by Kathy Geiswhite, uh which was extremely successful over its three decade plus run, uh, but nowadays is remembered as a caricature. For a, um, mm-hmm. let's say, a certain kind of boomer, boomer woman. Um, or anti-feminism, I guess. It's from it's created and hosted by Jamie Loftus, who, uh, you know, made an appearance last year in my, in my top 10 list for uh, 2020 uh, for a very, very small project called My Year in Mensa. And um, since then, she has created, she has, you know, written, created, launched two uh, solo audio projects. Earlier this year, uh, there was a, a podcast called Lolita Podcast where she um, re-examined the sort of what we were actually talking about when we talk about the novel Lolita and the second and the second project, which is um, ActCast. So I so different. It, it's in many ways it seems different, but it's actually very much part of the same practice. And so this is sort of my argument for for why ActCast is not just. Um, a good time. <laughs> it's also extremely <laughs> important in the podcast world. It, this is this is just sort of be, me arguing as a critic. Um, there is absolutely nobody who sounds like her in this business. Um, there is absolutely nobody who feels as creatively free and as sort of like unencumbered from the language of podcasts, be it narrative or, or comedy or whatever. Uh, hmm. Loftus uh, in is a just an all around creative person. She's a comedian. She's a writer. She's an activist. She's a journalist. But with Actcast, like it really kind of embodies her as a cultural critic. That she's she has this thing that she's interested in, and she just wants to to go you know, deep on it and understand what exactly is happening with Kathy, the the comic strip, and why it became a caricature. What it was actually trying to do. In in part, it's a project of reclamation. Kathy was never an anti, sort of an, an anti feminist uh, attraction. It's mm-hmm. not a conservative uh, character at all. It's it's a reflection of uh, of a certain an artist and a certain time navigating the, the feminism of her eras. And Loftus, I think she's just such an interesting person. It's such an interesting voice in uh, in an ecosystem in a medium that increasingly kind of takes the same kind of bets. And when I kind of think about like where I'm interested in this uh, medium going, I think about something like her. Like there is nobody who sounds like her, and there should be more people who take 
the same kind of risks and the same kind of freedom as she does. I mean, it's a great sell. It's also, I mean, the there's like a pretty gorgeous high-mindedness to what you're talking about, too, around, you know, I mean, I think when you think about podcasts and sort of the trajectory of them, so many of them do sound so iterative. Absolutely. That to come up with something that really is just feels fresh, it must be really exciting for you, you know? If I were was ever an artist, <laughs> like if I ever worked in a creative field in 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 any manner uh, that that isn't writing, like I would want a peer like her. I would want somebody who kind of goes like, "Oh shit, you could do that." Yeah, fuck yeah, you know. It's uh, you know that I that kind of fills me with so much excitement. <laughs> you kind of did that for the podcast industry, so. <laughs> That's nice of you to say. And as my therapist would say, I don't know how to take compliments. <laughs> <laughs> Just sit there and let it wash over you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh, these were so many great recommendations, Nick, Sarah. Thank you both so much for coming on and chatting with me about them. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Nick Kwa of Vulture, Sarah Larson of The New Yorker, both excellent podcast nerds. We would love to know what some of your favorite podcasts have been. Just head over to our Facebook group to let us know. You can join that at facebook.com slash groups slash HQ. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. We will see you next year. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.